Hello, and welcome to the fifth continuation episode of the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind for our version of 3 and 3. Book 5 is entitled Soul of the Fire, and as I stated kind of in the last episode, that this was the book that actually was where I started the series off. Now, I know some people are sitting there going, wow, that's kind of dumb that you started a series with book 5, and I just wanted to explain a little bit that when I was in high school, our high school library had only um, two of the books in the series at that time. And the first one that I saw was Soul of the Fire. And I will admit that the main reason why I grabbed it was that it was the biggest book that I could find. And I wanted to see if I could read through it. And that was the real reason of why I actually started reading these. It wasn't because of the cover. It wasn't because of the back. It was just because it was the largest one. And it actually took me two attempts to read it. And I was pretty, since I was around middle school, ninth grade or something like that when I first started reading it, the fact that it was a book that I couldn't finish the first time kind of made me annoyed. So then, of course, I had to go back and finish it again, which I did, and I'm really glad that I ended up doing so. Now, still continuing explaining that series, what I did was I read Soul of the Fire, so book five. Then our library actually had book two, Stone of Tears, so I ended up reading that one. So I was very, very confused reading through it. Then I went to back to our actual town library instead of just the school library and then started reading them all in the order from there. So a weird roundabout way of doing things, but in the end, one that I don't really regret just because of how it brings back those memories. Now, like I said, since this was the first one that I read, I do did have some rose-tinted glasses looking at it, but I also had some moments where I'm like, yeah, in hindsight, these were pretty ridiculous things that I find it strange that I didn't understand at the time when I first read them. So the first thing that I want to bring up, and this is on our good side of things, remember, is the main um, antagonist of the story, and they are called the Chimes. Now, what happened, and again, spoilers, definitely are going to happen. What happened at the end of the last book was Kaelin had to save Richard from dying at the end of Temple of the Winds. And in doing so, she released what are known as the Three Chimes into the world. Now, these chimes, they are based on different elements. Fire, obviously makes sense with the title Soul of the Fire. Water and air. Now, as villains or antagonists, I'm going to say it there instead, they're not really villains so much as just parts of actual nature. The fact that they could be anywhere. I mean, picture this. You're walking on a mountain. All of a sudden, the wind starts talking to you a little bit. And you think, man, I think I could just, you know, keep walking here. And the wind would carry me on. And next thing you know, you have fallen to your death. You're walking along a river. And you're looking down it. And you see this really nice flash of light in it. And you want to just reach down and touch it. And instead of just reaching down and touching it, you actually have put your whole head into the water. And now you have drowned yourself. Or you're sitting around a campfire with your friends, just talking, relaxing. The next thing you know, you watch as your friend next to you falls face first into the fire and they start to have their whole face burned off. This is a terrifying thought in this more of a uh, fantasy-based world because these are simple things that are around all the time. And you don't know where these chimes could be and they could kill you at any given moment. And at one point they even have, or Richard has the um, mud people, stop using fires for a while because of the danger that it poses. Now, they're not going to be everywhere all at once, but just the fact that that threat exists is a terrifying thought. Now, that being said, 
Yes, the chimes are a scary thing, but it leads into what is known as the number one dislike thing that I have in this, and this is called the chicken that is not a chicken scene. Now, Richard is thoroughly convinced that the chimes have been loosed, although Zed and Addie try to convince, or not Addie, um, Anne try to convince him otherwise that, nope, chimes are not loose, something else. Richard is completely convinced that the chimes are loose, and he starts to believe that there is a chicken amongst the Village of the Mud people that is not a chicken. It is one of the chimes. And we have the scenes where Richard is rounding up all the chickens in the village, all the kids are helping him, all this stuff, and they don't find the right chicken. Then later, we have to go back again and look at all the chickens, and that's the chicken. That's the one. That's not actually a chicken. So you have this murderous evil chicken now that is going around and causing problems in the village. And when you look at it, how does that fit in with the chimes of fire, water, or air? Is it air because chickens have to breathe air? Is it water because chickens have to drink water to live? Can the chimes just be any random thing in this world? It it threw me a bit now looking back on it. But, I mean, your big evil thing became a chicken now. And that was really kind of frustrating at that point. Okay, next on going back to one of our good things, okay? And this is a different set here. In the book, they end up going along and they're trying to stop these chimes from actually end up destroying all magic in the world. And they end up going to this town of Andreth. Or I would it's almost like a mini country, but not as large, I would guess. So county almost, where they have this weapon that's known as the Domini Dirch, and it is a series of bells that are set up around their whole um, the county that if you ring them, anything in front of it gets completely destroyed. Get Or if it's a human, it gets wrung out essentially from all the noise and basically explodes into piles of goo. And it does happen at one point during the book when the chimes go, or not the chimes, sorry, the bells go off on their own and there are people caught outside, and it is horrifying, the descriptions of what happens to people who are caught outside of this. And this weapon now is becoming a point of, one, Richard is trying to convince the people that they should follow him and the Daharan Empire because that would help them better, and he doesn't want these used against them. At the same time, the Imperial Order is trying to convince the people as well that they are the ones who Andrus should support. And Richard ends up figuring out how to beat the dirt cheers, I'm going to call it, and it is that since it's based on sound, all you have to do is put earplugs in, and that will stop it from possibly killing you. And they explain it because there's two different races of people, or I wouldn't say races so much, sorry, two different groups of people who are in Andreth. You have the Harkins, and you have the um, Anders, the Andreth, regular people. And it's basically a downcast society where even though we are all equal, you know, your ancestors were terrible, so you're going to be terrible too. So we have to hold you down and basically have this weird set of almost indentured servitude that the Andrus use against the Harkins. And that is one of the things that Richard is trying to convince them otherwise, which does lead back into the other negative side of things now. And that is in this book compared to the previous four that had come beforehand. Goodkind got a lot more political during this, the writing of this book. The two main character or the two main um, 
political figures in Andreth are, oops, sorry for accidentally hitting the mic there. The two main people in Andreth are Bertrand and Hildemara. And what the observers from reading the books have figured out is that these were veiled copies of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And then you've got Bertrand is sleeping around with everyone, sleeping around with all these different advisors and that and using his ability or his power over the power, I put in quotation marks, over them of being this high like sovereign type figure. And it just fit too much in with the actual political nature of what had been going on when Good Time was writing this book. And that kind of really takes you out of the immersion a bit because now you've got is he writing this because he thought it would be a good story or is he writing it because he thought just that they were terrible people in his own mind there? So that's why he did this. Now, in this one, uh, Bertrand does get his comeuppance in the end where all his sleeping around actually ends up getting him a very terrible VD, VD. And that creates a interesting moment at the end where Richard basically says to one of the people, well, you made the bed, you're going to have to sleep with your consequences instead of me just straight up killing you. And that leads to that spot there. Now, book, and going back to the political spot here. Okay, sorry. I was about to go on to the third one, then I remembered more of why I wrote political down. The main choice here of what's going to happen is, and I find it interesting, is when in Andreth, Richard is trying to convince him to join Dahara, the Imperial Order is trying to convince them to join themselves. And what they do is they decide to have this up to a vote. The people of Andreth, both the Harkins and the Anders, they are going to be voting on which side they should take. And even though their Harkins are seen as a lower class citizen, they actually get equal rights voting, which is an amazing thing for this point of what's going on in the story. But the issue that I have with this is the Imperial Order is still willing to have a vote in the first place over this whole thing. Imperial Order would, in all honesty, yes, they're scared of the uh, the dirge, but they could easily just come in and wipe them out because they know that the Andreth army, since they have this great protection of this these bell system, is they're not very well trained. They're actually pretty terrible where they train them in the least amount of things, and it actually happens at one point where a couple Imperial Order soldiers come in and they wipe out a small contingent of guards very easily. It's not even a contest. And the fact that the Order has wiped out all these other places but is willing to negotiate here, it kind of kind of left a, sar a sad taste in my mouth a little bit. And then Richard on the same side, because he's trying to be so kind and all that, he's having them vote. And even though he got placed as the Daharan leader, just from the fact of being Darkenral's son, he didn't really go through a vote either. So why was he so insistent on having an actual vote here? So that kind of got me with that political aspect of what was going on. And as the third negative thing is that we have the ending of this book. Okay. It, I understand what was going on here. It's being set up as this is an empire strikes back moment. Richard has now been defeated by the Imperial order through a vote of people. He's lost his confidence in being able to convince people. He has, or Kaylin has been beaten to within an inch of her life, and she has lost her child that she had actually gotten pregnant with here, as we found out throughout most of the book. We have Zed got turned into a raven for a little bit. The Imperial Order has now won again, 
it's supposed to be set up as the um, Empire Strikes Back moment. But with how Richard's been established, he doesn't give up. And for people who are have already read the whole series, they know that there are reasons why this is. But at this point, it was almost too much of a negative all at once. So many things hit all at this time, and now Richard is going to go off, hide in the Westlands, kind of like how uh, Luke Skywalker did in Last Jedi, where he's just going to go off and sit and pout for 30 years. Sorry. But I, it does get more explained in the next book. I get that. But at this point, I was not a fan of this ending just because of how negative everything was focused on. Now, the other and final good point of this book that I personally enjoyed, again, reminder, these are all just my opinions, and you're free to disagree with me if you want, is the character of Kara. Now, Kara has become basically their de facto main bodyguard, their one main Mord Sith protector. She is now with them, and what happens is Zed, going back to it, he had to tried to lie to Richard about different things and said, hey, um, this thing, this lurk, because he's trying to lie about the charms. This lurk can be defeated. There's a bottle in back at the Wizard's Keep. I need you to go there and smash it with the Sword of Truth. Okay. So we have Richard realizes that his lion at some point and sends Kara off to the Wizard's Keep to go and smash this bottle. Now, as she gets there, there are two Harkin boys who got betrayed back in Andreth. They have run there to try to steal the Sword of Truth to prove that they were not guilty of the crimes that they committed. So they sneak into the Wizard's Keep, they steal the sword, and Kara starts asking them very nicely to give the sword back. And, well, the boys, being dumb teenage boys, are stupid, and they keep doing taunts. They say that they're going to have her in the sense of raping her. They go through all this stuff of just messing around, and then Kara finally goes, all right, that's it. Playtime's over, and she starts, gives them one final warning, and the one chooses not to do it. She catches his fist, breaks his arm, throws him off of the clifftop. Now, the reason why this moment, and I am getting to it here. In the last book, I talked about how Richard was humanizing the Mord Sith from being the ruthless killers that they had been under Dark and Hell's control. Now, the story I just told you, that's kind of ruthless killing, just like I said about under Dark and Hell's control. But now, as this um, other Andreth kid, this Harkin, as he's running away, trying to head back to Andreth, Kara is still following him, almost like a Terminator where she's not going to stop. As they get back there, the boy end up gets killed by one of the Imperial Order soldiers at one point. And as this whole little army crew is getting killed by the Imperial Order soldiers, Kara comes in and she actually saves one of the girls who has been attacked by them. And as Kara is saving her, the girl asks if Kara can help save any of her friends. And Kara looks and she says that there's only one other that she can save. And Kara, as this ruthless warrior, normally would say, nope, there's no one worth it. You just need to save yourself. The fact that she was actually willing to go and save this other person was a nice moment to humanize her more, that she's starting to break that ice that's been around her from when Dark and Rolla controlled things. Now, she's still ruthless, as was shown by throwing the teenager off the mountaintop. But she is starting to gain that more humanistic side where she's still willing to help other people instead of just letting things happen. Now, those were my three good and positive things and three of my negative things from Soul of the Fire, book five. Now, as we go forward here, we have book six, Faith of the Fallen, which I will say is my favorite of the series. Hopefully, I will not let 
the rose colored glasses tint that one either as well if you have any comments for us please check us out on our facebook leave them there reminder hopefully we'll start be able to get more episodes out and actually get those things to you as things start to settle down here in part of the new year hope that you all have a good day wherever you're listening to this